Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Jimmy, give us a little uh, preview here. You just talked to uh, Matt. Matt's on hold. Sounds uh, great. Okay. All right. Matt, can, all things considering. Like maybe a breakfast sandwich? He is pumped uh, to talk I, about hey, this one. I feel honored because judging off a uh, tweet uh, at uh, about 4 o'clock this morning, Matt Marinas and Jacob Padilla are leaving the chai. Uh, he joins us now. Have you slept As we were at up. all? I, I got about like 75 minutes. Okay, that's oh, okay. A, that, that, that's enough. You're 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 spry enough. You're good. Were you yeah, able to even shut it down when you got home, or did you kind of go back? Did you watch maybe some highlights? Did you? Did it take you a while to kind of like? I mean, that's there's there's a lot of adrenaline with what happened last night. Like I, I can't imagine that it was just like, okay, you're home now. You're shutting the eyes and you're good. Yeah, no, it wasn't immediate. We got I got home probably like four thirty, four forty five. So yeah, it was like we passed each other. Second, second. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Did, I mean, did, I've had I've had worse I've had longer nights and worse mornings as a you uh, know uh, back in the partying days. So okay, well, fantastic. Had to access that, you know. Hey, a- after that night, um, you know, I'm not saying anything new to Creighton fans. Their go-to source is White Blue Review, uh, churning out the content and then the podcast after that one for the subscribers was fantastic. Let me let me ask you this about last night's game because I because I said this, Matt. When I walked in the building last night, you just had the sense there's no way that UConn is winning. The place was juiced up. You knew what stakes were on the line. Um, one of our callers brought up earlier that I also did notice UConn, by nature, they're, they're a very cocky team. It just seemed like they were very, very confident uh, during warm-ups and just their actions, especially when they were up 7 nothing. But what point during that game did a bucket, a moment, a stretch where you went, man, there's absolutely no way that UConn is winning this game, that you saw that Creighton did something. When was that last night? Oh, that's a good question. I, I was pretty confident that Creighton was winning last night going into it. So I the the pregame swagger for both teams was, I was watching it kind of closely, but I wasn't really, I didn't really think that either one of them showed a sign that of trouble. I think maybe... In game, when it started to flip a little bit, uh, I mean, when I, when Stephen Ashford pulled up from about Jacob and I were debating whether it was thirty feet truly or not. Um, I think, yeah, I think we settled on twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Um, when he pulled up there and cashed that thing, I, I felt like Creighton was in for a pretty special performance, especially offensively. The question, I guess, in your minds was whether UConn was going to be able to to match that, and they're certainly capable of it from a personnel mm-hmm. standpoint. But that was a moment. I think Kalkbrenner's three point play on Klingon after he uh, after he cha- after he, he, it was right after he got the chase down block at the rim in transition after the yeah. live ball turnover. Yeah. So that was like a big sequence of like, okay, you knew Kalkbrenner was was you know had his A game ready to go, and you know he got things stabilized with that three point play to get the foul on Klingon. And I don't know, that felt like a little bit of a turning point probably too much because mm-hmm. UConn was still in control at that point. But those are two moments I can think of where it felt like UConn was going to have to play 
out of their minds good to to win the game. Yeah, Matt, there were sequences, and, and I had to go back this morning to see the one because I wanted to know exactly how it went down. And if you remember Green's first three-pointer, and that kind of all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, maybe something's different. They take the lead there, and then you do get the the chase down, the first chase down block shot by Kalkbrenner, and then you come right back down with a Kalkbrenner made, and then you get a, another Ashworth three. Like at that point, you go from a twenty being down by two to being up by six in a matter of like a minute and a half, and and from what you could hear. That's what it, it seemed like the place was like up for grabs as well. Like the, the whole environment was up for grabs. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah the environment for me goes a little bit separate for, um, for a couple of reasons. But first, just to your point about, you know, the, the moments where Creighton kind of seized the game a little bit. I mean, that, because of the start <laughs> – yeah. It's hard to kind of contextualize this because they got down 7 nothing. They were giving up offensive rebounds. They were turning the ball over. It looked like a continuation of what happened in stores, you know, back in back in January 17th. So because of that start, it's hard to contextualize how much of an onslaught like Creighton was on in that first half. But it's uh, like the last like 14 minutes of the half, um, Creighton, I think, averaged 2.4 points per possession from like the 14 minute mark to like the last two minutes when they, I think when they got up 41, 27, 2.4 points per possession. They scored on 14 <laughs> of 15 trips mm-hmm. against UConn, like against the team that with clinging in the lineup had been the best defense in the country. Just, they just obliterated them. Um, they made eight of nine threes in that span. Um, just, just an absolutely absurd, an absurd stretch of offense. The kind of onslaught that we saw earlier in the season, you know, in the non-con games when, and you know, against Iowa, um, Nebraska, Central Michigan, Oklahoma State, those kind of runs where you're like, oh my goodness, like this team has spurt ability that's kind of next level, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was one of those stretches there in the first half where. It didn't really matter what UConn was doing. You know, they, they they switched their ball screen coverages. You know, they went to drop coverage. They were clinging out of the game. They went to the, you know, the kind of the flat um, ball screen coverage with Samson Johnson where he kind of just, you know, walls off the drive and makes the ball handler give it up. And that was a problem for Creighton in the first game. But in this one, they were finding the right outlet. They were hitting the short roll. They were reversing the ball. And they were kind of picking UConn apart in that regard and get a lot of open shots out of it. So that was a snowball effect for UConn's defense because there wasn't really a counter to that if they couldn't be better at the point of attack. And as for the crowd, I think they got there about, I want to say like two, two and a half hours early or so. And you know, normally I walk around and I'll just kind of, I like to, I don't know, it's kind of peaceful and everything, and it kind of just sets the vibe a little bit, and then obviously take a picture for the um, obligatory arena shot, right? Mm-hmm. And then while that was happening, like, the student section, like, you could hear them from what essentially is across the arena, one floor up, all the way down in the convention center, essentially just ch- ranting, like, 
know, you hear the Let's Go Jays, CUCU, all that. I had never heard that before. So they were, I knew they were at a fever pitch already. And then, you know, UConn's redshirt freshman, I forget how to pronounce his name, or redshirt sophomore, excuse me, he came out early for his pregame kind of workout. Um, He doesn't really play. He's not part of the rotation. And he was getting heckled and booed like crazy. Hmm. And, like, so when that kind of stuff's going on, you know that the crowd's kind of ready to bring their A game. Mm-hmm. And then you have the national anthem yes. snafu, like where the the guy had the electric guitar and it was he was probably ready to put up a banging rendition, but the sound didn't work, so the crowd just kind of took over mm-hmm. and pulled off the national anthem on a whim. I mean, that was just, there was just like moments that led up to the actual game itself where you knew that there was going to be enough energy in the building that if yeah. Creighton got on a roll, it was really going to be hard for UConn to, to, to settle it back down and take the crowd out of the game and get back into it and make it just about Creighton versus UConn. You've, you've been one of the people that have stuck with Stephen Ashworth throughout the entire time. The first seven games of the year were not good. He had to figure out his role. I think he had to figure out his teammates and their strengths, and then they also had to figure out how he's different from the last point guard they played with. But now he's on a heater, and he's shooting the ball well. He's distributing the ball. He's actually rebounding as well. So mm-hmm. I'll give you credit. You have you have said, hey, this guy can do it. He can shoot. He's going to be fine. When did you maybe change and go, he's not only on the offensive end, but he is not a liability on the defensive end, that he's a guy that can be on the floor because you have a feeling he's going to make a stop late in the game, and especially last night. It wasn't late in the game. It was early. Spencer is one of the better three-point shooters in the Big East. Didn't even get an open look. When did you th- When do you think that Ashworth started to show that, man, he also is pretty good on the defensive end? That's a good question. I'm trying to recall. I mean, is it is it strangely, were... the, uh, the last time they played him in a game that nobody looked good except for him on both ends of the floor? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um it's pretty wild to see the kind of two-way impact he's had because you're right. It's not just it's not just three-point shots starting to fall. It's not just the assist turnover ratio sticking around. It's not just the fact that he's you know kind of sticking his nose in there and grabbing some tough boards. I mean, he skied for one on the offensive end last night. That mm-hmm. even made me go, oh, Jesus, um, that's a tough ball. Uh, I, I you know what? I'm going back now in my mind to the Alabama and Villanova games, and I know there was games where they did make some offense, defense uh, substitutions with him. But I felt like he was fighting defensively in those games. He kind of staying in the right spot, not getting buried as often. Um, like, you could see that he was starting to fight defensively, mm-hmm. that he was really trying to, you know, to hold his own at that spot and not be someone that teams could kind of hunt and look for matchups to attack. And I think the first game that really popped or even in terms of his ability to actually be a shutdown guy on the perimeter defensively and take someone's one of their top perimeter options out of the game was I mean I thought he did a good job on Spencer in the first game but that game just got sideways on them so badly yeah. that it's hard to notice the impact but he came back in the Seton Hall game and Alamir Dawes for Seton Hall I think he held him scoreless in the first half and really made things tough on him, you know, on the catch. Just made it hard for him to kind of get going. And I think that was one of the – that was like probably the first game where he actually had a shutdown 
type of an impact that you could see was really affecting the other team and what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then he banked that with the, the Xavier game was right after that on a quick turnaround. You know, he shut down Quincy Oliveri, which was like he was one of the hottest guys in the league at that point. He was dropping 20 pieces on everybody, and Steven really held him in check in Omaha. So, I mean, that's it's kind of built from, you know, gradually throughout conference play, end of non-con, and then probably that Seton Hall game, um, the Seton Hall-UConn road trip was probably the first time where it really popped to the point where you could say, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy's actually capable of shutting down some top perimeter options here. The four-man, we've, we've, I mean, we talked about this at the beginning of the season. You figured Isaac Trout would be a part of that. Um, you know, Jason Green coming off the injury, we weren't sure, uh, you know, at what point would he kind of be more of a presence in that lineup. When you kind of look at it now as, as things take shape for, for what this team is going to be in the tournament and, and given the night that Jason Green had, d- does his presence now go beyond just favorable matchups? I believe so. I mean, I think I said it last night that I think he's cracked the rotation. So, I mean, it's because, I, you know, he hit two threes last night and they were the first two threes he's hit, you know, in his creating career essentially. Um, but, I, you know, I've had conversations with, the you know, got guys on the coaching staff and they feel like Jason's got, you know, enough about his process um uh, but they think he can turn into a pretty good shooter. So it's not, it wasn't like, even though he hadn't hit one, I don't think it was one of those situations where it's a guy who can't shoot finally hitting a couple and getting lucky. I think it's more of a guy who just hadn't had the opportunity to, you know, to catch on the perimeter wide open and let it rip, you know? Um, Cause I think there's, there's people on the staff that think he could, he will eventually turn into a pretty good shooter. So I think last night was more of a, a glimpse of what could be as opposed to an anomaly. Um, and then you factor in like his energy. I mean, he just, he flies around. Yeah. I mean, the sequence where he blocked caravan in transition. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a special yeah. play that you yeah. can't really, you can try to teach it and say, Hey, like, you know, don't give up on plays, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like make sure you're always, you know, if you if you fall down, get up and find a guy and get back on defense as quick as possible. Like you can probably teach the basics of that, but the you know he crashed the offensive glass from the corner and probably had a putback dunk that would have lit the place on fire. Mm-hmm. But it catches the rim on a tough bounce on the second, um, on the first bounce off the rim, and just like it, it it takes a funny hop on him as he's going up to put it back and. You know, it was just an unlucky bounce, right? And he ends up on the floor. And all night, UConn hadn't gotten loose in transition at all. I mean, Creighton right. held them to four points in transition. That's the lowest of the season for them. They usually destroy people in that area of the game. So you look at that sequence there where Caravan's loose, free, catching the ball on, you know, the left wing, which is caddy corner across from where Jason's on the floor, right? And so he makes a beeline from basically – you know, left side baseline defensively to left cor- left wing on the other side of the floor and just puts Caravan wide open, step in, rhythm, transition three into the mm-hmm. stands. Um, you know, Creighton was up double digits at that point, so, you know, I don't know if that play changes anything dramatically, but Jason made sure it didn't have a chance to because of his effort. And 
that's the kind of stuff that changes the game, fuels a team, sparks, you know, the kind of momentum you need to finish games. And I don't think it's a play that should be forgotten because it's kind of the things that he's capable of on a nightly basis. So four games to go in the regular season. Madison Square Garden, the Big East tournament's going to be fantastic because there's going to be the the big three of UConn, Creighton, and Marquette, and then there's going to be a host of teams that are going to be fighting in the last couple of weeks to get on the good side of the bubble and may need some help at MSG. Has your opinion, not just last night, because you're not that guy, but the but kind of the way that they started to stack efforts changed your opinion on what's going to happen when the tournament starts on where this team can go now. You talking about NCAA tournament? Yes. Um. Yeah, I definitely think it's important for them to play well going into it. Even though I think, you know, I think they're capable of, you know, kind of just like going in where they don't look like they're playing so hot right now, finding a couple matchups that suit them and getting rolling that way. That's kind of what happened last year. You know, I don't know if they were going in to the NCAA tournament, the way they played against Xavier, you felt like, oh yeah, there's an Elite Eight run coming here. But I think that's part of the magic of the NCAA tournament too, is it's not always, you know, the hottest team coming out of conference tournament week that takes off and, and finishes strong or puts together a memorable run. You know, that's part of the, that's part of the March, that's part of the, the fun about March Madness, you know, but I think the way they're playing right now, it shows you that they're capable of doing everything they said they wanted to do before the season. That's, that's I think, what you're looking for mm-hmm. with all the type of teams they get to play this year. You know, Alabama, you know, Nebraska's gotten a lot better. So that win, that performance for Creighton in a hostile environment looks, you know, you, 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 you assess that differently now after you see how hard it is for teams to go into PBA and win, mm-hmm. and you think about what Creighton did there, you know, and that crowd was that crowd was hostile as as any, you know, you can face. So to perform like that in the face of it, that goes into a, you know, a column where it's, you know, where you see what this team's capable of on its best night. And then last night is another example because you've kind of been playing the best basketball in the country at this point coming in. I think even now they'd probably still be considered the favorite to repeat as national champions just based on the body of work and in comparison to the rest of the country. So now you look at what the way Creighton's playing and you think, you know, this team came into the season with final four aspirations. Are they building towards that? Yep. And I think, I think it's hard to say no because they're playing at a really high level right now, especially on the offensive end, which is where we thought this team could really, really be elite and, you know, I think you're seeing a team that is capable of being a top five unit on the end of the floor. Someone that's really hard to guard, really hard to bottle up, really, really hard to shut down all the components of it. And yeah, that's that's a dangerous team that not a lot of teams are going to be excited to play if they see their yeah. name across from them on, on Flesh and Sunday. Uh, Matt, I know we, we celebrate milestones in sports and we reflect on, on them. Uh, in this particular milestone last night for, for Mac getting win number 600, I, I I don't need that to validate to me that he is a, a fantastic coach and what he's meant to Creighton. I mean, it sometimes in moments goes beyond words, but was there just something about getting 600 
and also being able to be a part of that historical beating of a number one seed. Like it almost like it just one of those other stories that where everything just kind of came together perfectly last night. Yeah. I don't know if 600 is the the thing that does it because obviously not all those wins are at Creighton. Right. Uh, but I mean, it's just when you look at his, what he's done at Creighton and especially the way he came in, like he came in to replace, you know, Dana Allman, who was the legend there at that point, was the program builder. And he was tasked with kind of re reasserting Creighton's position in the Missouri Valley Conference as the team to beat every single year because mm-hmm. um, that's what they were in Altman's kind of heyday when they were taken off. And then, you know, three years later, he's being thrust into the Big East and it's kind of like the Doug McDermott show. And then, you know, they have that dream season in 2014 and... um that's like when everything kind of goes back to ground zero because you have to replace a legend on the court and you have to build something that's sustainable for the long term in a conference that, you know, doesn't care yeah. <laughs> about yeah. you. You know, they'll leave you in the dust if you're not prepared to, to compete. Right. We've seen that with, we've seen that with St. John's, Georgetown, DePaul. Like they don't, you're not, you're not afforded protection in this league because of your brand. You know, you'll get left behind if you're not doing the things that you need to do. And I think that's where Mac's legacy is going to stand the test of time because I'm just not sure there's a there's a peer with that. Like, can you think of a a program like Creighton that got, you know, its break to the big stage or whatever, to the next level, if you will, and has turned into what it's turned into with that opportunity? with the same coach, mm-hmm. um, with the philosophy change and who he was prior to Creighton to what he, the way he coaches and the way they play now. Um, there's just, there's so many layers yeah. to the, to the legacy that go beyond just the wins and losses yeah. uh, prior to last night. And then you factor in that. I think what, you know, 13 of their 18 top 10 wins now in program history are under Mac. And nine of those games were essentially blowouts. Like, think yeah. about that. Like, yeah. blowing out top ten teams. And last night, you get your chance to beat number one for the first time ever, and you blow them out, too. I mean, those aren't just squeakers. Those aren't things where Creighton gets lucky and rides the crowd. Like, those are blowouts where the crowd rides them, you know? Hey, we'll get so, you. I mean, there's just so, there's so yeah. much to his legacy that that, that is going to stand the test of time. He's kind of an immortal um, when it comes to Creighton basketball now, even though he's still on the sidelines doing it. Hey, we'll get chatter on this. Uh, so next up is St. John's. St. John's tonight, after what Patino said, they have Georgetown. Now, Georgetown is Georgetown, but we have no idea what St. John's team is going to show up and then what team shows up at home on Sunday. What's your read on Patino, his move, and what it does for St. John's the rest of this season? That's, yeah, that's, man. That was quite a meltdown the other day. Um, and he doubled down on it, too. He said, you yeah, know, the next I, day. I want my, yeah. yeah, he's like, I want my players to hear hear what I have to say to them, but also to, you know, about them. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. I feel like that message gets sent when you just say it to them, right? Otherwise, <laughs> what kind of team do you have? Right. But I don't know. That's just me. So, yeah, I think that Jacob and I recorded for two hours, what I guess this morning, if you will. Um, 
And we kind of left the St. John's game up in the air. We didn't really analyze that because we don't really know what to make with St. John's at the moment until they played Georgetown. Just because there's so many variables now that how do you know what type of response you're going to get from them? You know, do they mm-hmm. quit? Do they fold? Do they do they consider the season lost and, you know, kind of look towards the future of their careers with a coach who just basically said they're not good, they're not good enough yeah. to do it? Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, I think if, if St. John's responds the way Rick Pitino is hoping they respond, I guess, to that, then they'll handle business against Georgetown. And when Creighton comes in their building, that'll be an opportunity for them to get the marquee win they need to really revitalize their season for the stretch run. So a lot will depend on what we see out of the response. Um, right now it's kind of hard to say because historically, historically that kind of comment, those kind of comments don't go well. Yep. Um, so we'll see if Rick Pitino is actually the magic man when it comes to his intentions with those comments because those were those were quite unhinged for a guy who thinks he still has a good team. Yes, they so. were. Hey, mm-hmm. great stuff by uh, you and uh, the rest of the White Blue uh, Review uh, uh, crew. And uh, enjoy uh, enjoy a little sleep today. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yeah. you guys. Have a good day. That's uh, Matt DeMarinas. Great stuff. There's no way I had time this morning to listen to him and Jacob talk. And it, he's right. It was I, I saw I saw what the length of it is. About two hours. Him and Jacob <laughs> broke down last night. Now. The thing about St. John's, so they're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite against Georgetown. Mm -hmm. That game on Sunday is a nooner Yep. at MSG. Early. It also is on national CBS. Mm -hmm. Patino will be the story of that game. Creighton's coming off beating number one UConn, but you know how this works. Patino is the story. Yep. Uh, I... I, I would like to say, man, they're they're probably done. They're going to cash it in. His old school ways. I don't know. I I think they have a spirited effort tonight. Man, I think I think they get blitzed by Creighton on Sunday at the Garden. I think they just do, and then after that, it's quit watch. See, after this time of the year, man, what I tell you, Dennis Gates and the Mike Woodsons of the world, they love that Masters commercial. Yeah, <laughs> that's warm weather. That means the season is over. Yep. We've already had the Final Four. And for people who've had the most unenjoyable but, experience in their basketball that, career. Those are the teams that if you don't get rid of them early in a game, they yeah. hang around yes. and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I guess we're supposed to win. That's why tonight, yeah. I, I don't think Indiana's on full quit watch, but I was really disheartened by what happened against Northwestern. So that's why Nebraska, who is not on quit watch and needs a victory, you 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 got to go in and you got to... You got a little Bud Crawford in you. Yeah, there needs to be that, a sense of urgency. Absolutely. That's that's like yeah. when you get. That's what I like. You know, my, my opinion could change. Seeing how St. John's plays like spirited tonight, and they get, yeah. you know, they go all to the wall against Georgetown. But I just have that feeling. Like tonight's a big night for Nebraska, not to screw around. Mm-hmm. Not the, the what the phrase is now. Mess with your food. Yeah, just play that's like yeah. that's actually yeah. a new thing. If yeah. a team is better and they're they're not putting a team, they right. mess with their mess food. with the food. Yeah, you know, f around, f yeah. you know, yeah. find out. Find like out that yeah. one too. Yeah, that's like I, I'm more. I say Nebraska tonight. Okay, where respect him. I'd let him have his night. Mm-hmm. I'd let him have a double double. I'd let him dunk on the lobs all he wants. The other four guys on the floor, you ain't getting it. Yeah. All right. All right. Put, Average guard play. Handle that. Go back to the sidelines. Put the candy stripe pants on, and you know what? Enjoy yeah. the night. Yep. And and kind of in the, in the same thing that I think about the Cranes matchup with St. John's is. Yeah, I I think St. John's. It'll be interesting if they come out hair on fire and they're just. They're from start to finish. It appears like a team, even against a bad Georgetown team, has a message received. But the bottom line is what Creighton is capable of doing 
with their runs, with the, you know that spurt ability that we talk about a lot. If they do that out of the gate against the St. John's team, you're right. It's if they're already looking at that you know 12 minute media in the first half and they're down double digits. I like where you're at. It's the boy Crane's missing a lot of shots. You know, St. John's is making a couple, but Crane's missing a lot of shots, and the thing's sort of teeter, and it's never really gotten out of reach. That's where you're worrying about them. You're you're right, though. It's the same thing tonight. I, Indiana's circumstances are different than Rick Pitino. It's not like Woodson's, you know, questioning their athleticism, but he looks like a man that's very disappointed with what he's seen in a lot of different facets of this team. Reno, he called Reno Reno against Northwestern awful. Yeah, now, he has fouled out of three of the last four games. Mm-hmm. I, that would not not really productive but well, I just remember listening to him after the Nebraska game and he just sounded like a defeated man on the way that they played and how sloppy they were with the basketball so if you can put them into that situation early on where all of a sudden those <laughs> those huddles are a little bit more confrontational or a little bit more critical towards the players I, I just I, I feel like they're not going to respond well to that it's the first 10 minutes of this game. I think it's it's huge. And I know it sounds crazy because we just brought up last time Nebraska was favored was Minnesota. First 20 minutes of that game were amazing for Nebraska. So there's not it's not like you don't have to close them out. But things are different when you're playing a team in December as opposed to playing a team in February that has absolutely zero prospects in the NCAA tournament. You know, back in December, there's there's still a lot of season. Things can happen. So you're not as dejected. This is where you start to look at, okay, what's the team's total buy-in? And it's, it's interesting that Creighton and Nebraska have those with their future opponents here coming up. All right. We'll take a quick break. Uh, in about an hour, Brandon Vogel from uh, counterread.com will uh, join us. we get some uh, emails and some uh, tweets. Uh, Bob says, uh, I know you guys don't want to talk about this, but have you checked that today? Don't want to talk about this, but have you Iron- checked that? Ironically, I know what he's talking about. I'm not going to do it. Jimmy, pull up the net rankings right now. No. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. I'm not. So he's talking, oh, he's yes. talking, he's talking I, about Nebraska. I'll do it. You want do it? I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not. I know it's, you're not it, doing it's it. Now, it's now banned from my computer. Okay. Nick's taking one for the team. Yeah. He's implying that Nebraska went up in the net last night. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I'm not going to look at it. I'm, I'm almost there. Hang on. Here we are. Okay. Nebraska. As of 838. On this beautiful Wednesday morning, Nebraska is forty seventh. So they went from forty eight to forty seven. Thank you, Creighton. <laughs> yeah, I did it so you didn't have to. Not not gonna do I it. Know. Not gonna do Are it. Are you looking at bracket? I couldn't. I can't remember if you said it. Are you While you're at on that page, uh, what is uh, Creighton now? Uh, Creighton. Comes in. Nine, I think. With that big win last night. They are number nine. They went up four spots from 13 to number nine. Okay. Everyone's happy today. Uh, yeah. Let's keep it that way. Yeah, I like that. I like that because <laughs> it's going to be warm here. Yeah. All right. Um, Can't drive, but it'll be a nice day. Quick break. We're back with more after this on 1620 The Zone. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 